You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, God's mercy is indeed more. The song we just sang, Zach chose it with great care and sensitivity to tonight's scripture readings. I hope you noticed that. I hope you noticed, as Rebecca was reading all three of our scripture passages, actually, how much the tension between sin and forgiveness came to the top. And the overwhelming refrain of scripture is that our God's mercy is indeed more. Praise be to him that his mercy triumphs over our sin. Well, I feel like I'm already beginning to preach, so let's pray. Father, use me as your instrument now, but do not forsake me. For if ever I should be on my own, I would easily wreck it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm thankful to have the privilege of preaching on the last of our Exodus texts. For the past several weeks, we've been on an exciting and stirring journey with Israel through the book of Exodus, and tonight we actually end Exodus prematurely with chapter 33, since it's not the last chapter in the book, but I do encourage you on your own to keep reading through uh, the last several chapters. Um, Chapter 33, where we are tonight, is actually a a bridge chapter between the problem that we saw last week in chapter 32 and the resolution that we would get if we were to read chapter 34. So we find ourselves here in this strange middle of chapter 33. And this in betweenness is actually appropriate for the season of Advent, which is a season that allows us to take inventory of our own darkness as we wait for the light of Christmas morning to come through. But even as we wait, even as we wait in this present darkness, we have heard the promise of forgiveness. The struggle between sin and forgiveness. Sin versus forgiveness. This is the topic I'd like to speak to you about tonight. I'd like to speak to you about it tonight because this is what Exodus wants to speak to us tonight about. If you look at the Exodus text in your bulletin, it actually might be helpful if you have it out, since we'll basically try to walk through it. If you look at that Exodus text in your bulletin, the verses you have in front of you, I think it's in three paragraphs, but we want to basically take it in two sections. You have verses 1 through through 3, and then you have verses 12 through 23. Now, there are several little themes bubbling up in this chapter. But to simplify, since I only have 15 to 20 minutes with you, we will think of it in two parts. We have verses 1 through through 3, which I believe is the first paragraph for you, and then the other two paragraphs. So first, two points we'll think about tonight. First is the diagnosis of sin. Verse 3, there in your bulletin, summarizes it for us. This is God speaking. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Here we are shown the bad news. 
God tells Israel, you can go to the land that I promised you, but I will not be with you because you are stiff-necked, you are stubborn, you are sinful. There's that word again, sin. Several of my non-religious friends often say that's an old-fashioned word that we don't need anymore. It's an old-fashioned word that's become unhelpful, and it's been used to make people feel guilty for things they shouldn't feel guilty about. But what are we to do when we look at the world around us and we find ourselves to be sinners? That was actually the question I woke up to a week and a half ago as I struggled to get my body out of bed. But this time it was not a preacher or a theologian or even my own Bible reading that asked this question. NBC's Today Show had just aired a shocking piece of news. TV host Matt Lauer had been fired because of sexual harassment. If you saw the clip, you'll remember that Savannah Guthrie, the other host, she was clearly distraught. She was clearly disturbed and shaken as she tried to cover this story. She had actually only just learned of it herself, evidently just before she had gone on the air. And after sharing the news, after sharing NBC's statement, she says this, We are grappling with the dilemma that so many people have faced these past few weeks. How do you reconcile your love for someone with the revelation that they have behaved badly? And I don't know the answer to that. How do you reconcile your love for someone with the revelation that they have behaved badly? Love versus behaving badly. Sin versus forgiveness. This is the very thing that is confronting us right now. What happens when I myself am found out to be a sinner? What happens when you are found out to be a sinner? This very question that we are asking ourselves in this cultural moment here in the 21st century right now is the very question that Exodus presents us with. Here in chapter 33, the Israelites find themselves to be in a bleak situation. They have in fact just heard a disastrous word. God has announced to his people that he will indeed give the land to them as he promised them, but God himself will not be with them. Why so? Because the people, as Exodus 32, verse 30 says, they have, quote, sinned a great sin. And because Israel has played the part of the unfaithful spouse, God is now filing for divorce. Now, to make sense of all this, it's important that we recall the story, the basic storyline that we've seen so far. God has rescued Israel from the world power Egypt, he has set his affection upon them simply because he has chosen to love them. He has taken them out of slavery, he has destroyed their oppressor, and he has started up a relationship with them. God will be their God, and Israel is to be his people. Once they were freed and they had entered into relationship, then I believe Matt preached on the marriage ceremony, the covenant ceremony. This is what Exodus calls it. So this covenant... Um, it's like a marriage ceremony. There's already a relationship, but then there will be a public ceremony where vows are exchanged. God pledges to be Israel's God, 
and Israel promises to be his people. God and Israel are now married to one another, and it's really a match made in heaven. And now at last, we might expect when we, when we learn of that story, the marriage ceremony, we might expect Porky Pig to come on and say, that's all, folks, or, um, and they lived happily ever after to scroll across the screen, but that's not what we get. The story is not over because before it's all said and done, Exodus will ask the question, what happens when Israel herself is unfaithful? What happens when Israel breaks the vow, when Israel is unfaithful? Not just a little peccadillo, not just a little white lie. What happens when Israel sins a great sin? Zach preached on this very thing last week. Israel fashioned a golden calf and worshipped it as her God. They have committed idolatry, and so in one fell swoop, they have explicitly broken all three of the first three commandments. They have chosen, like all of us do, they have chosen to worship a God that they can control, that they can manage. Like all of us, Israel has distrusted their maker, they have distrusted their redeemer, their rescuer, they have been unfaithful to their God. Now, up until chapter 32, there's been really no discussion of sin. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's really, really been no discussion of sin in the story. But by telling us this story, Exodus will ask us the question, what happens when Israel turns out to be just like Egypt? A people who fashion idols for themselves. What happens when God's bride, Israel, the people who have said, all this we will do. We will be your people, God. What happens when Israel finds herself to be Egypt? When Israel finds herself to be the victimizer? When Israel finds herself to be the unfaithful one? When Israel finds out that she herself is a sinner? The people have broken their wedding vows. The God of Israel is the God who shares in his love. He has set his love upon his people. But now what will come of this relationship? To ask it like Savannah Guthrie asked it, how does God reconcile his relationship, how does God reconcile his love for Israel when he has just learned that they have behaved so very badly? Will the relationship fail? Will People Magazine across stores in the U.S. will have a divorce announcement that God and Israel are now separated and divorced? Sin versus forgiveness. This is the tension that is placed before our very eyes. And if we stopped at verse 3, we might think that there will indeed be a divorce. But that very bad news takes us to point to the rest of our verses this evening. The bad news leads us straight into God's promise of forgiveness. The diagnosis of ourselves leads us to hope for, to hope in God, his word of forgiveness, his gospel. Here in this section, beginning at verse 12, the scene changes um, from the bad news to Moses interceding for, to quite simply he's praying for and on behalf of the people. So what we get are three prayers of Moses. That's what we just read. Three prayers of Moses, and for each of the three prayers, God responds to Moses. It's like a conversation. Moses and God are conversing. 
The people have just heard a disastrous word. But in, res- but in response to this word, Moses will not take it. He wants God himself to be present among his people. Moses is the mediator, and he is there to remind Israel's God of his promises that he has made to Israel. Moses says, don't forget God. We are your people. Israel is your people. And don't forget God. What makes Israel Israel, what makes Israel distinct is that you, you God, are our creator, our redeemer. And it is your very presence among us that makes us distinct. In short, what Moses is doing here in these prayers, he is pleading God's promises to Israel. He is pleading them so that God will show mercy and forgiveness. Here, the mediator is asking God, the party who is wronged, to show himself to be faithful when Israel herself has been so very unfaithful, faithless. What is God's response? Verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. Because you, Moses, have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. God promises to Moses that he will drop the divorce. He will not put Israel away. God himself will carry out the promise. He himself will be faithful when Israel has been faithless. Then we overhear that final prayer from Moses. Moses asked, God, show me your glory. In other words, God, show me yourself in a way that I have yet to see, that Israel has yet to see. I want, you, I want to know you more deeply, more intimately than I have yet to see. And God's reply to Moses is this. Moses, I will show you my goodness and I will proclaim my name to you and my character in a way that you have yet to see. But ultimately, no sinful man can look upon me and my glory and live. God will reveal something to Israel that he has yet to show them. God will tell Moses that he is a God who is utterly merciful and gracious. He will forgive to the nth degree He is patient, he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but he is a God who by no means will clear the guilty. The God of Israel is the one who got Israel out of slavery, and now he will make his name known as the forgiver of sins. But because God is a holy God, He does not simply look the other way. He does not allow free course to our unrighteousness. So to summarize, because I know that's a lot trying to summarize that chapter, to summarize point one, the people of Israel have heard a disastrous word. God will not be present among his people. The people have been diagnosed as sinful and unfaithful. But point two, Without undercutting the seriousness of sin, Exodus puts right before our very eyes, it puts Moses the mediator in front of us to see just how very badly we need someone to go in our place between God and us. And Moses the mediator pleads God's mercy and his promises on our behalf. 
And the reply we hear from God is the promise that he will be with his people and he will forgive sins, even in this present darkness. Contrasted with Israel, who has been so quick to be faithless, the God of Israel shows himself to be faithful. He is the one who got Israel out of Egypt, and now he will show himself to be the one who forgives even the greatest of sins. But we are left with a tension here in Exodus 33 and 34, and it actually will not be resolved until the New Testament. Forgiveness will win, says God, but make no mistake, I do not simply allow free course to your unrighteousness. I will show you love, mercy, patience, and forgiveness to the nth degree, but I will not simply write off sin. Sin versus forgiveness. This is the tension that is before our very eyes after we have read Exodus 33. What happens when you and I are found out to be sinners? How do you reconcile the fact that you have behaved badly with God's love for you? Later on the Today Show, after Savannah Guthrie had made the announcement, Kathy Lee Gifford was on the air to say this about the Matt Lauer incident. She says this, No person is perfect in this world. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is what Scripture says. And what we need now is forgiveness, and we need mercy for one another. The only thing I've ever been sure of is that only God can heal it. There's no bad time to reach out for his help. We're all so broken. We're broken, and we need somebody to put us back together. Kathy Lee is on to something good and right here. The message of Exodus, the message of Christianity, to quote Pastor Tim Keller, is the news that you and I are more sinful than you and I ever dare imagined, yet you and I are loved more than we could have ever hoped. What happens when you and I are found out to be sinners? You and I need forgiveness. And thank God that he is in the business of forgiving My friends, I hope you realize that at the 5 o'clock and at the Advent in general, the story we rehearse each and every week, we recognize when we come together publicly to worship our holy God, we recognize that we are to be honest about ourselves, which is why each and every week we go to our knees in confession. But yet even though we recognize that we are so very sinful and broken that we have done things and we have not done things, we recognize that there is never a time when our confession is not met by God's love, His mercy, and His forgiveness. This is the gospel. Our God is a forgiving God. He is not waiting on you to say the magic words. God is there before you repent, He is there with you in the repenting, and he will be there after you repent. God is tracking you down. Because he is faithful even when you and I are so very faithless. Over and against your measureless sin, 
God lavishes you with measureless grace. This is the promise for you and me, the sinner. But to close, there's one little lingering question that Exodus 33 and 34 leave us with. It's not yet answered. How does God's forgiveness, how does His grace actually deal with the very gritty brokenness of our lives? After God has pardoned us, who will put us back together again? Who will heal the wounds of our brokenness? That is the exact tension that Exodus should make us ask of God. How is God both the God of forgiveness and the one who does not clear the guilty? How does God's forgiveness not undercut, how does it not rob sin of its gravity and its weight? Here is the answer. God pardons you and forgives you of all your sin because now in Jesus Christ, he has actually come down to deal with sin itself. Says Paul in Romans 3.25, God at one point passed over sins, but now in Jesus, he has come to actually deal with sin and death itself. In the crucifixion of Jesus, God sends our sin and death down to the hellish dump it deserves, and in his resurrection, he shows himself to be the victor over every sin that you and I could commit. Jesus now lives to triumph. Oh, don't you see, now in this season of Advent, as we are waiting, we are taking stock of the sin that always and everywhere confronts us. And yet, as we do that, we are holding on to God's word of forgiveness. But then comes Christmas morning, and all the light of Christmas morning, with all its dazzling light, comes shining through, until we see the glory of God, God come to us in the flesh. God come to deal with sin, death, and the devil. I can really say it no better than Fleming Rutledge, a preacher, an Episcopalian preacher actually says herself. Here's what she says. Unless God is the one who raises the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, there cannot be serious talk of forgiveness for the worst of the worst. The mass murders, tortures, and serial killings, or even for the least of the worst. The quotidian offenses against our common humanity that cause marriages to fail, friendships to end, enterprises to collapse, and silent misery to be the common lot of millions. All for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone. This is what is happening on Golgotha. What happens when you are found out to be a sinner? How do you reconcile God's love for you with the very revelation that you have behaved badly? Put your hope in Jesus. There in him is the full display of God's love, his mercy, and his kindness. Our sins, they are indeed many, yet God's love, his mercy is more. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.